to the Ink Sync. I am Annie. I'm Kaylee. And this is the publishing podcast for the rest of us, where we are covering season two of the Ink Sync. I'm so excited. Yeah. Can we just spill coffee everywhere? We're going to do a second. I'm doing great, you guys. I'm doing awesome. Actually, it didn't go too far over there. I just spilled it on myself. This is just going to end up in our beautiful library of liquid sounds. I'm sure it was a lovely sound. We always collect wonderful Foley as a, as a publishing podcast. That's what I'm the most proud of for us. All right. How are you doing, Kaylee? <laughs> I am getting over being sick. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we all, you're all going through it right now, but uh, yeah. holidays did it to me. I got sick. My yeah. grandmother got sick. Yeah, Everybody's sick. Too, from yeah, COVID. you got sick. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think uh, so far it's me, Annie, your husband, and my grandmother mm-hmm. that have confirmed. Yeah. Got the Rona. We're, we're covering now, and season one is over. For new listeners, you can go back. The last couple episodes are some of our favorite uh, episodes from 2022, and now we're in 2023. It's season two. Our most daring arc ever. I I want to thank everybody who listens to the show so much. You we, guys are awesome. We are more than one person's favorite podcast mm-hmm. on Spotify. And we only and we're actually more than two people's and we only have like two mom listeners. So thanks guys. <laughs> and neither of them listen on Spotify. And nobody, yeah, they so they're not they're not great at these Spotify. are non-moms who are listening to our show. This is amazing. And uh we are in the top ten podcasts for uh more people it's in the double digits. It's incredible. Like we started this podcast last year last january Mm -hmm. and now we have favorite show it's so sweet thank you guys so much like i'm blown away um yeah thank thank you guys we started this because we love this shit and now we have supporters (laughs) it's a very silly niche topic so thank you so much for your interest we love you guys season two it's gonna be lit we're gonna start it off good uh, for season two, anything that you want to hear about, let us know. Uh, you can email us, inksyncpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter at the Inksync Podcast. We're on Instagram at the Inksync Podcast. You can send us smoke signals. Yeah. We, um, we accept those. No, please don't yes. set things on fire outside of our house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so maybe we shouldn't come to arson. Hmm. We accept arson. We just don't encourage arson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, legally we are not responsible in case anybody. That's right. That's right. Case it comes up later. Oh man, this is also our first Ink Sync field trip. We're recording this from a hotel room. Dun dun dun. I, yeah, it's a new fun experiment. Annie, yeah, Annie had an adventure getting our setup. Yep, together. <laughs> we are using ill-fitting equipment, but you know what? We're gonna make it work. <laughs> All right, so we are going to. Start season two off with a bang. Hey. So this first story, I wanted to start us off with something funny. I'm sure we've all thought about this. Like, who would you want to hang out with? The New York Times asks authors, modern authors, in all of its book interviews, who would you invite to a dinner party? What author would you invite to a dinner party? I thought it was a really cute exercise. What do you think? Who would you invite to? I knew you were going to ask, so I prepared my answer. Good. Um, and this is just you stalling, so you don't have to answer as quickly. But I would invite Terry Pratchett, Diane Duane, and Tamora Pierce. Mm, that'll be a fun dinner party. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what Terry Pratchett was like in person, but I assume 
He's uh, by he was, all accounts, he was just a very wonderful, genial man. That and, sounds awesome. Yeah, Neil Gaiman was a big fan of his, yeah, like, just as a friend. So, and I, I, I had to like really like I was waffling on I'm bringing Neil in, but I, Neil's, I can just add, yeah, shout into the wild at him, and <laughs> he may or may not see it. He's still a person in the world. He does. He still exists. Despite his total lack of social media presence, that's Can a running joke. Oh, again. Despite his total lack of <laughs> social media presence, which is a running joke. Yeah, that's right. He's not on every single platform. Oh, there was like a like the New York Times or some some channel. I can't remember exactly what it was. Some media outlet was like, despite his lack of social media presence, like as he was like actively yeah. involved in everyone, and basically, yeah, it's just really funny. He's everywhere and a huge Tumblr presence too. Yeah, Tumblr, Twitter. He does. Uh, he does. He talks to people everywhere. Yeah, he's everywhere. a very social man. Anyway, so um, I, you he, didn't put Neil Gaiman. He yeah. was on your like. He's on my list. short list. Yeah, just <laughs> not the not the top list. What about you, Annie? Who'd you bring? So I. I agree that I think Oscar Wilde would be a super fun person to party with. Oh my god, you might get arrested, but yeah, I, it'd be yeah, real fun. Right. I want I want Oscar Wilde and I I don't know like uh, whoever Oscar Wilde wanted to bring like Dorothy just... Wordsworth was one of my my shortlist choices too, mm-hmm. but she was like her brother's like biggest supporter. They were like best friends throughout their whole lives mm-hmm. and like her very detailed notes about their their journeys, their walks, like he used those for a lot of his poetry. Mm-hmm. She never wanted to be published. She's just sure. very good. She did her own poetry. She did her own like travelogues, That's essentially. Awesome. Um, and they're very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he was uh, Oscar Wilde was actually a big fan of both of them. Like they were good. Oh, friends. that's cool. You know who I would have with Oscar Wilde? Stephen Fry. Mm. That mm. would be a fun party. That would be a fun party. <laughs> Again, Annie's looking to get arrested. But yeah, listen, I've never been arrested, mm-hmm. but I feel like. If you get arrested with Stephen Fry and Oscar, Oscar Wilde Wild. at a dinner party, you did it. You go down in history. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> Your dinner party goes down as probably one of the best dinner parties of all time. I did appreciate that one person in this article. We'll post this article in the show notes that said, um, "Listen, authors don't have dinner parties. We just were not social like that." And the person was like, "Okay, but like, who would you invite if you did have dinner parties?" <laughs> just make it's true. true. Make it, make it, like, make it up. You, you are an author. You're like, use your imagination. <laughs> yeah, Pretend right, like. Exactly. That's, uh, there were some good answers. I liked, I liked mm-hmm. some of the answers on there. There were some good ones. Yeah. I was being a little bit pedantic as I was reading through. Someone said Shakespeare, but he has to speak modern English. And I was like, nope. pushing up my glasses. I was like, actually, that is modern English, technically. Middle English is Chaucer. I didn't say that out loud, <laughs> but I felt it in my bones that I should never say it out loud. But now I'm sharing it with all of you guys because we're friends, aren't we? Yeah, that's a, this is a trust, the circle of trust, Danny. <laughs> Don't judge me as I push my glasses up my nose. <laughs> well, actually. Yeah. So you guys are going to be hearing this probably in February. Uh, we are recording it in January. So we are getting a lot of the year-end roundups uh, on our newsfeed. Um, and we're going to get kind of meta on this. So talk a lot about the books and the book industry. And there was a ton to talk about this year. Lit Hub rounded up the biggest literary stories of the year. We covered uh, many of them. The plight of the libraries, the Penguin Random House, Simon, Simon and Schuster failed mergers. We covered the book bans. Uh, we'll be covering the HarperCollins union later in this very episode. Uh, but we haven't covered some of these. We did record a small piece on Salman Rushdie getting attacked, Mm -hmm. but we haven't actually released that. So uh, for those who don't know, uh, Salman Rushdie was a a radical writer. He made a lot of people angry and he was stabbed at a literary event. 
Um, we don't know much about the event itself, but he, we know he did survive. He's mm-hmm. alive. He's still recovering. Uh, recovering. Yeah. And of course, our hearts go out to him. Um, we didn't really talk about book talk and the Colleen Hoover, the cohort. <laughs> I'd never heard of this lady, Annie. You're so much more active on book talk. Yeah. So this is this is a real thing. Um, book talk loves Colleen Hoover. It's just she's a romance writer, and it's good stuff. I mean, it's you know, fine. I It's not particularly my cup of tea. That's not my favorite genre, but, you know, it's good. Sure. The Book Talks users, uh, <laughs> I wrote, disproportionately seem to love Colleen Hoover in my notes. Um, she you're gonna makes, get, somebody's going to come for you. Yeah, right? <laughs> disproportionate. What does that mean? <laughs> what are you implying? She released uh, the book It Starts With Us this year, and it became one of the most pre-ordered books of all time. I saw that. That was fascinating. Yeah, almost a million pre-orders, which is... Insane. That's yeah. bonkers. Yeah. Another one that made this list was Wordle. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't, I didn't realize that some like little, little Welsh dude was just like, here you go, my dear, and like made a little Wordle game for his person and then just released it and then it went viral yeah Yeah. that's cute as shit it's super adorable we were playing wordle in the car on the way back from a trip recently oh yeah alex is obsessed very engaged alex (laughs) on the phone stewing over it until i told him we figured it out and then he downloaded it and did all of the month's (laughs) wordles that's amazing. He downloaded it. I love that. Oh, yeah. So it's a daily game for those of you who have never been on Wordle. It's a, a daily game. I play it probably every day. I, I'm one of those super lame people who starts my day with the crossword and like little puzzles and stuff. Um, sorry, I'm like 90 years old. <laughs> but I love it. Um, which I thought was I, – I actually wouldn't have put that in publishing news, but um, Lit Hub did. So we're talking about it, everybody. Oh, and it makes me happy, so I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, no, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's cute as shit. Yeah. Another thing that we didn't really talk about on the show was the plagiarism story. Capital P, capital S. We talked to some plagiarism stories, but there were a few in here that, yeah. Yeah, the one um, that they called out, <coughs> kind of a very uh, schadenfreude story, an author who plagiarized in their work, their book, also plagiarized in their apology. Yeah, that was that was comical. Like, why? Yeah. What? <laughs> you don't think that people are going to run it through a text checker? Like, are you serious? It published, especially because she was apologizing for, for plagiarism. plagiarism. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You dumb dumb. What an idiot. Yeah. Another one that uh, LitHub put in its list that I don't know that I would have put in was Pamela Paul moving from the New York Times book review section where she was the editor over to the opinion section where she is now a columnist. Um, we've covered some of the shuffle of the book editors in our celebration section. Uh, we talked about Maris Kreisman taking over the book section at a new publication. Um, Pamela Paul kind of started that when she moved over to the opinion section. Um, She's stirred up some controversy in her opinion pieces, um, which I didn't super feel was like <laughs> publishing related, but you know, LitHub is quite bad at her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely seems to have like a vengeance or at least a bit of a grudge. Yeah, anyway. they're, they're not happy. Uh, the other thing, the last thing that, that LitHub put in there was that Cormac McCarthy returned to writing. writing two new books. Yeah. And um, apparently has been in progress for like six years. Like yeah. the book, 
the the spine collector never got his stuff apparently that's somehow. right well the spine collector wouldn't have released it anyway for reasons I guess, unknown i guess we wouldn't have known if they had unless <laughs> right exactly somebody said so um Cormac McCarthy, for those who don't know, wrote the iconic book The Road um, and hadn't written for a very, very, very long time and is now writing new things. Apparently has. They, they sounded kind of cool. Like, I'm very curious yeah. about, like, like how these shake out. They yeah. seem very buzzy. We'll see yeah. how we'll see how the reviews come. Yeah. The most consequential story in all that, I think, obviously, is the book bans and the plight of libraries. We are very Which we're super biased. In and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, stop. Leave them alone, you bullies. Basically, yeah. Like, I I mean, we talk all the time about how much we love libraries, and we talk about book bans probably every- I went every... to a library. I got my engagement photos done at a library, and it's just so good. It just is soul healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good life. There's nothing better than a good library. It's the smell. Yeah. It's, it's weird. S- the smell it's it's being surrounded by books it's like it's it's also the way that like i've I've thought about this like the aura of a library Mm -hmm. um it's not that it's totally quiet people are still like quietly talking but like the books help insulate it so you you do feel a little bit cushioned yeah Um, yeah it's like a cushion it's like a sound cushion and then also you feel safe because there's also like a physical not a cushion but like a and embrace because yeah. you're just in the stacks. Like there's just you can hide in there if you yeah, wanted to. If you needed to, they can't. If you needed to, there's a grid. You can you can dodge. <laughs> anyway, so libraries are great. And if the people, bad guys are after you, people should leave them alone. Just yeah, that's duck right. Into the children's section. There's Home tons alone. of furniture. Home Alone Five left at the Stuck library. Stuck in the library. They would leave Kevin at the library. They've left him everywhere else. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Did you see that they did a, a a commercial with the mom from that movie and Kevin Hart? She no. couldn't she she couldn't find another Kevin. Oh my god! She's, like, She's oh, just shouting finish? Kevin. Yeah. that's funny. What was the commercial for? Was it like a they were? In a I mall genuinely or don't even know. I don't have TV. I'm not. It must have been on Hulu or something. Sure. I can't remember. That's like yeah. so. It's commercials now are so weird because like I'll remember that, but I don't remember what it was for. Yeah, right. Clearly, the the marketing didn't actually work. Sorry. <laughs> Many of these stories obviously are still ongoing. We may get more updates. Um, the Penguin Random House Simon and Schuster failed merger is still having fallout. Yeah. Um, their CEO, the Penguin Random House CEO, just resigned over all that, mm-hmm. which we uh, a story we got from Shelf Awareness. And Rushdie is still recovering. Book bans are bad. Book bans are bad. That's, yeah, we'll just land on that. Gonna, I'm just going to draw the line. <laughs> Controversial opinion. Yeah, that's Stop right. Stop banning books. Moving on. So this is kind of a big story. So I've separated it into a couple different sections. Obviously, uh, this is a podcast about books and and publishing in general. Uh, A lot of the time we're talking about our favorite books, but the business is a business. And it's got, you know, employees and buildings and debts and policies and cubicles, like any other big American business. Um, A lot of the things are sort of coming to a head in that business right now. There are a lot of stories we're referencing here. Uh, some good work from Publishers Weekly, The Guardian, and The New York Times. Publishers Weekly did a deep dive on the state of the actual employees and the corporations, and the state was kind of worrying. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of employees in the New York publishing business fell, um, whether they were publishing books, magazines, or newspapers, all of them fell. And while women and men are pretty evenly split in author numbers... Uh, about half of authors are women, about half are men. Uh, they are not paid nearly the same. Yeah. 
And surprising one. Writers are earning less than 10k a year from their writing on average, uh, which is not enough to live on, at least where we live. And, and so is it? No, it was the median salary, not the mean. Oh, sorry. Or yeah. sorry, half of writers are earning less than 10k from their writing, which is not enough to live on. And no. the number of people writing full or part time has fallen. And women are earning about 40% less than men on average, which is quite uh, upsetting. This is a quote from the Guardian article. Dan Conway, CEO of the Publishers Association, said that authors are the heart of our industry and publishers work tirelessly to try to ensure the work of the writers they publish reaches as wide an audience as possible. They want authors to find success for their work and to reap its many rewards. As with all creative jobs, it is a popular and intensely competitive profession to pursue. Earnings are not linear, and often they're at their highest in the first years of publication, he added, noting that, quote, traditional, unquote, publishers are paying more than ever. He did, however, agree with the report's observation that newer publishers need to pay writers fairly, too. And magazines aren't doing much better. Sadly, <laughs> it's true. It was just fascinating. Like, I, I don't know if it's a matter of them not doing like well versus them not being given the platform. This piece like we were talking about, mm -hmm. like, like it sold very well. Right. Like if they had just made a couple of different decisions that didn't comp compromise the quality of like the actual content so much as the presentation and like making it a little more accessible. Yeah, this New York Times article was about a literary publication a literary magazine that had folded and it went through pretty much line by line like all of the actions it had taken as a business and it had been given as Great much reviews. yeah as much opportunity it had you know invested in its writers it just wasn't fiscally viable and it seems like the people backing it just kind of gave up on it after and two issues yeah and third one is there they just aren't going to sell it it's like batgirl it's so like, mad. it's done. It's just, we're never going to see it. <laughs> so mad. So mad. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard for magazines to make profits. And that is obviously very concerning to, you know, the business people, but also for the writers themselves. Many writers get their start in magazines. Many writers get their start in these smaller periodicals. And when the pool of those smaller periodicals gets smaller, a lot of them are concerned that they won't be able to make professional moves ever how do you break in when there's no in to break into that metaphor didn't work but you nodded and i, I made no, me i know how do you how do you break in when there isn't a, a structure and in to break into yeah when the structure is not present that's right exactly thank you i was with you ultimately of course this means that these publishing businesses are out of reach for anyone who can't support themselves long enough. Well, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. That's the, that is the shakeout is that, and it's concerning and it's notably concerning. Right. And it, you know, the, the authors of these articles are discussing that, which is yeah. that it is a rich person's game now. Yeah. And you know, so then it does, it does if become a from, white rich person's game in a lot of the cases. If you come from a lower income background, you don't have the luxury to not be able to make a living wage for an extended period of time to establish yourself as an author, as a writer. Like we said, that that was the median was $10,000 a year. That's not enough to live on where we live. I don't know of many places where that is enough to live on. That was like, it was in the United Kingdom, I think, in a world where like their like median or mean mm -hmm. was like 30. Yeah. Less than a third of, <sighs> of what, what you would need. You would need. So, you know, it's interesting. Know, and if you can't do that, 
if you don't have the luxury to be able to say, oh, I'll just live below that level for a while. If you're like, I need to eat, I need to, I need to feed my family. Fam- feed my family. Yeah. Then you are is almost by definition shut out of this. Yeah. As a professional writer. So it was interesting because like I just saw a question to Neil Gaiman about that. Like mm-hmm. when when do I give up on my dream of being a writer? Mm-hmm. And I'm not like, don't don't give me a bullshit answer. Like never or always do a free dream. Like I have a family to feed. I need to be able to support myself and I want to give them a life, a good life. And Neil was like, I would never tell you that. Like I would say get a job that you can stand and write in your free time when you've got it. Just yeah. do do whatever you can to you know feed your creative beast. But like focus on on that later when you have that capacity because it is very difficult to be a writer. And mm-hmm. he he himself got his start as a journalist. I mean, everybody again, only the very independently wealthy people. And that's can, kind of how it's shaking out. Can just do this. And especially because, as I said, you know, these are businesses with buildings and CEOs. <laughs> Anyone who has a knowledge worker job, which this technically falls into, knows the push and pull that's happening in corporate America right now where CEOs and admins want everyone to come back into work. And a lot of these businesses are located in New York, meaning they want people to live in Guys, New York City. It's insanely expensive. Which is it's one of the so most expensive ex- cities in the world. Was it you were telling me yesterday about like people showing us grocery prices on TikTok yeah, in New York yeah. right now? In New York right now, um, again, we're recording this in early January, and there was a viral TikTok that's showing a dozen eggs costing $10. Ten dollars in New York City. That's insane for a dozen eggs. What? <laughs> what? I just, I can't. Who? Anyway, so that's when you keep a chicken coop on the bu- the building of yeah or the roof of your building. But that compounds everything because y- you if you can't afford to live anywhere, you extra can't afford to live in New York. Yeah, at not at New York prices. No. Um, which is and then if so you, frustrating. But if you're like dedicated, you know, they're always like, oh, we want a self-starter. It can very easily lead to exploitation mm-hmm. where your C- or your boss is saying, you're lucky to be here. Do you have oh. any idea how many people want to be here? You should be working for this small amount of money. And that's the slippery slope that we end up with. We've talked a little bit about publishing workers having other sources of income too, and specifically about how that ends up with conflicts of interest. If you're a journalist and you're writing about something, but then you're also being paid by you know, an advertiser to write about something similar. That's a conflict of interest. How do you deal with that? But you also need money. Like you, you need, need to, to be able, be able to, feed, to your feed your family. Feed it's a yourself. real problem. Support, like yeah. support your rent. Like it's, it's insane. And it's, yeah. what do you mean? This person like did some shady stuff. Like, right. yeah. Cause you want to be in New York and you want them to be in New York. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, what a surprise. And it, and it kind of, I was trying to find the right word for what this does to the industry. I think it insulates the industry more than anything else. If the only people who can make the job in this industry work are the ones who are already wealthy, and those workers are probably about to respond to specifically news stories or book stories or magazine articles that will fit with their cultural experiences more than any others, that would lead to excluding diverse voices both in the business and in the product Mm -hmm. so it's insulating it from everything and that's something that they observed yeah like they're talking about many of these yeah obviously we're going to put all of these in the show notes it's kind of a big topic but uh, i'll have all of these for you in the show notes but that was something that was brought up in every single one of these articles and like the fact that especially in like the uk publishing industry that one article was discussing about how like um women specifically and then women of colors extra specifically are 40 percent less represented 
like mm-hmm. easily 40% less represented and and then making less money and making less money and it's just it's absurd they make up you know half of our population are women and like yeah it's all connected because you're not yeah. approaching these stories well then you're also losing the readers and then you're just like what do you mean i don't have readers like you could open up like 20% of your population that might be interested in buying this shit from you if you actually presented them stuff yeah. that they cared about like you're losing you market complain. shares and then you're talking about like the money like it's a mystery like it's a puzzle game or something that you're not you don't know the rules to I'm like no you know the rules you just don't like them yeah and we want this industry to succeed to be clear we love books <laughs> we we want to we want to talk about books and um i did appreciate in um i don't remember which one of these articles cuz memory is kind of blurring together there's so many of them there were a lot um yeah. but i did like how independent presses are coming in to try and pick up some of the slack but they kind of are failing with paying the authors at a commensurate rate which is like really sad but they're trying and i think that they know their blind spots so hopefully this gets better in the future but maybe it won't i don't know we're about to talk about the strike so yeah you'll see that yep there's a couple there's like i think it's just like people have just taken it back up like taking up the standard again of like that one article like we're seeing strikes again for the first time in 20 years basically like on a wide scale basis yeah so uh all of what we have talked about kind of leads us into this next story obviously you can find this in a lot of places you can look on the new york times on twitter but this specific one that i'm uh going to link in the show notes is from the New York Times. Harper Collins, one of the biggest book publishers in the US, saw its employees walk out in November and the strike is still it, ongoing. Yeah. It paused for the holidays, for holidays. basically. Yeah, now it picked back crazy. up two days ago. They were like, peace. And they just have been out there literally on the picket lines since then. That is dedication. Feel how you're going to feel about strikes in general. That is dedication. I just want you guys to remember, it's warm now, but it was not warm. Mm-hmm. Like, four weeks ago it was frigid in fact like we had issues like massive temperature and they were they were out there yeah they uh have said that they want higher pay and family leave which Mm -hmm. seems reasonable they also say that they're striking for respect this is a quote from the new york times article this is bigger than our paychecks this is about trying to make change in an industry that we think is broken, said Laura Harshberger, a senior production editor with HarperCollins Children's Books Division and the union chair who was at the protest. This fight has been focused on trying to make publishing a more diverse and equitable place that reflects our values and the books that we make, unquote. Again, this is still ongoing, so we don't know where it will land. Apparently, the union company contract thing ended in April, so they've actually been working outside of their contract for a while. I think it's probably likely that they'll get the family leave that they're looking for. At and least. Hopefully, people, hopefully they'll get raises. I mean, yeah. well, I think, and to be nice. fair, I think, I think there was an indication that HarperCollins was negotiating that. I just don't know if so, they've met their actual yeah. stated so request. So it seems like there's a little bit of a, a back and forth here. HarperCollins says that they will continue negotiating in good faith. Well, I don't yeah. know what's really going on here, if the negotiations are still happening or if they aren't or right. what. Right, yeah. It's um, a little, little different stuff in here, yeah. Confusing. Yeah, obviously, we're a little bit biased. We have talked before about how we support unions in general. And um, we think that, again, we just outlined every problem in the publishing Mm -hmm. industry. And it would really help if people could make a living wage. So it also I mean, it's like, okay, so speaking of why we need unions, like all these venture capitalists and then larger companies that have that would started as such and now are like conglomerate owners of massive media empires that are just gobbling up those smaller companies like they're coming in and scalping the talent they're cutting you know 
media outlets and organizations in half, essentially. That's one of the other articles that we'll be posting in the show notes, um, was from somebody in this, in this, in this vein who was advocating for, uh, unionization, um, which was able to go through it was from Gawker, I believe. Uh-huh. People need to be protected and in, especially in a capitalist society, you don't have a real bargaining power unless you have a collective bargaining power. You, there's not enough legal protection in the same way that like in the UK and the European Union, like when Elon Musk tried to fire everybody in Twitter and the UK and the EU branches, like it's going to be, that's going to be shaking out for years. Mm-hmm. Like it's, He's, I didn't even think about that. But oh, yeah. yeah no, it's sense. illegal. Like, it's yeah. not legal for them to behave in that manner. So, like, I'm not exactly sure. Like, he drained so much money. Yeah. Like, just even if he's just going to pay off whatever the salaries would have been. Right, like, right, right. The severance. Oh, my God. To, yeah. yeah. Whatever those options wow. are. Like, it's going to be massive. But, like, those people are at least nominally protected. We don't have that. So the only the only protection that you have as a, as a worker, mm-hmm. especially in a right-to-work state, is – collective bargaining we while we're on this topic i just want to say we have been accused of being socialists on this show before we are not socialists i don't think that harper collins should be owned by the government i don't i think that that's ridiculous but if in a capitalist system the workers want something and management is not giving it to them the workers then strike that is a market move so i feel like honestly striking is capitalistic more than socialistic but (laughs) I agree. I don't think that the publishing industry would benefit from nationalization. I just think that people deserve to be to make a living wage. This woman was the senior production editor with the children's books division. That's not an entry level job. And especially living and working in New York, she needs to be able to live in New York. Absolutely, I believe that they should have more money than they are having, especially when HarperCollins making record making billions last year. We'll move on. I feel like we've made our stance we've on this topic this, very clear. Again, we're very biased um, and we, you know, have never made a, a secret about that. But I think that, you know, this one is one of those ones where I think the right side of history is going to be the strikers here. Let's go to some good news. Yeah. Independent booksellers getting money. Yeah. I'm always happy about this. Thanks, James Patterson. Yes. We always want to celebrate wins for the little guy. You know, we've kind of talked about this a little bit. Independent bookstores have had a rough go of it lately with the pandemic and then, you know, in general, the slowing down of sales at brick and mortar stores due to just the the internet existing. Um, And generally, you know, just the state of the economy. And of course, shameless plug for bookshop.org. If you go, if you want to buy a book online, Go to bookshop.org, get the book, and then you can select your local bookstore that they will get credit for the sale and they will get a little bit of a commission on it. So the prices are similar to buying a hardcover book on Amazon. Um, and we have a bookshop storefront. You can, I'll put that link in the show notes. You can, if you buy something through our, one of our links, we get a very small commission. But if you select the bookstore, the bookstore will get much more of a commission. So always select a bookstore. Um, this story comes to us from Shelf Awareness. Author James Patterson, uh, one of the best-selling authors of all time, selected 500 independent bookstore employees to get an award of $500 each, which is fantastic. It could go a long way to helping the booksellers. So much money into that. like, And he does it every year. He does it every year. Good for him. That's awesome. I'm glad he's giving back. James Patterson gives us a lot of hate for all the things, but this is a good thing, and I'm happy that it's happening. 
like he built up his empire essentially and he's got the formula he's got the essential author author stables where people are getting used to finding like a way to do it they're building speaking of building those relationships and building those connections and trying things out mm-hmm. i think it's really cool that he at least even if it's i don't know him personally it could just be lip service but it, the optics are better than many other people in the industry for sure good for you yeah, that's awesome good for you Moving on to our favorite news section, women and minorities, killing it in publishing. Um, This might be a little bit of a shameless plug for a fellow podcast. I don't know these people. I just love this podcast. It's called Missing Pages. I just found out about it on this article, and now I'm going to like listen to everything. It is it's so, so cool. good. The, the first season's all done, so you can just yeah, listen to it straight thing. through. Uh, Beth Ann Patrick, who is a uh, book critic. Her podcast about scandals in the literary world. Dun, dun, dun. Season one just wrapped um, and I hi- highly recommend it. If you love our show, you will definitely love this. It doesn't like all the way cross the line into true crime, but it's very like salacious. Mm-hmm. And they're all absolutely fantastic episodes. Uh, congrats to Beth Ann Patrick and the entire Missing Pages team. Keep on sparkling. You guys are doing awesome. Like, And also like keep exposing these shitbags. Do yeah. it. Do yeah. it. They um they didn't do an episode on the spine collector, but I bet it's they did a bunch. Two. Yeah, they did a bunch. they don't have enough information yet. The yeah. everything the right. you know, the case is still being prosecuted. Yeah. They probably yeah. want to wait. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's yeah. good. And, she, and Beth Ann Patrick's been in the industry for a super long time, so she's so like curious. calling up her old friends to be like, Give me what the is this like? Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. And now for our favorite non-news section, Kaylee. What are you reading? All right. So I did pick up, uh, to be fair, there was a reason I said that that book had been opened again. I did pick <laughs> Gideon the Ninth back up. Okay. Mainly because I really want to- Stay wanna... tuned for part nine of Kaylee picking Gideon the Ninth back uh, up. I've put, I picked it up. <laughs> I may not put it back down. We'll see. Um, I've been carrying this around with me on all of our trips because I if I read another book, I've told myself <laughs> it has to be this one first. <laughs> And I have a new T. Kingfisher book I got for Christmas. So Oh, it's in the back burner. Oh, yeah. Like, I have to read this one so I can read that one. <laughs> so I'm, like, trying to, like, bribe my little brain Kaylee, goblin. it's been a year <laughs> since you've had it. this book. Like, my little goblin. <laughs> um, so the reason I want, like, I, I look, hey, guys, getting the ninth. Forcing, by the way, I'm not forcing Kaylee to read this. She's, she's chosen to make this her mountain to climb. <laughs> I, I know. It's because I actually think it's a really cool book. And also, but also the T. Kingfisher book I have. Mm-hmm. Nettle and Bone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about a sister princess who wants to save her sister. Like, her sister's married to a shitty prince, and she has to, it's like a fairy tale style, but with the T. Kingfisher, like, down to earth characters. And uh-huh. so she has to, like, go through the magic bullshit of, like, the three impossible tasks. Like, the, the truly annoyed mm-hmm. <laughs> moment. But then also still go, like, and you know, the, that's just, I love her. I love her characters. I mm-hmm. love her approach to yeah. magical realism. And so, um, yeah. Also, like, sisters, like, saving each other. It's fucking yeah. great. Anyway, it's time. so I'm going to bribe myself to, with that book and finally read Gideon the Ninth. Okay. Um, so again, <laughs> I've, I've picked up and I've read about a page of it again. And Gideon <laughs> is hilarious. To be fair, like the book is very, funny, very funny when I'm reading yeah. it. I just haven't gotten hooked into like, what's the next thing yet? It will happen once I get a little further in. I know it will. I just have to get that far in. So yeah. I'm, I'm the problem. It's me. Hi. <laughs> I'm the problem. Anyway, so we all know where I just went. Annie, what are you reading? Funny enough, I just finished book number three of that series, <laughs> Nona the Ninth, and it's fantastic. Uh, so the, the protagonist of this one is like an eight-year-old. Uh, well, she's mentally eight years old. I think she's physically like 19 or something. But she is like, 
basically living in like a YA book while everyone else is living in like this political intrigue, you know, sci-fi necromancer thing happening. So as the reader, you're like caught up in her and her like friends who are stealing all of her fruit and how she's going to get back and do her stuff and, and like how the city is very silly and everyone's, you know, trying to trying to curry favor with the teacher so that they can walk the dog. And it's like really cute. The dog's name is Noodle. Oh. And uh, Noodle does survive to the end of the book. Oh, my God. And um, in fact, Noodle is put in peril and Nona is, is inspired to save everybody <laughs> because oh, she because has to save Noodle. Oh. They're in a car at one point and... And there's like, they're like, are we going to die? And someone's like, no, no, noodles in the back. And she's like, oh, not noodle. <laughs> she saves everybody. It's fantastic. That's not even a spoiler. <laughs> it's very good. That's cute as shit. Noodle also has six legs. Um, Which makes him the best and dog. And he, when he, when he gets scratches, his middle legs come up to. <laughs> so That's cute. cute as shit. You don't get to read about noodle until you finish Gideon and Harrow. Ah. All right. Um, Yet more bribery for my brain goblin. Yeah. But I thought it was a really interesting way to tell a story because you're like hearing it from the mind of a child, but you are also getting like the dialogue that she's overhearing because she's a kid. So she's like sneaking up on all the adults and listening to their conversations. So you, as the reader, who are like immersed in this like wider story that's like this galactic war and the necromancers and the people that they're fighting um, who don't show up in. Gideon the Ninth, really, so you don't have to worry about them. It's like you you're getting that story as well, but then like the emotional moments for Nona are can I walk noodle, please? And how how can I clean the board today while this weird kid, Kevin, is sleeping on me? Like it's really cute. It's, <laughs> they they roast Kevin constantly. <laughs> It's like, Damn it's it, like I'm not a liar. I'm not Kevin. <laughs> and I'm like, what did Kevin do? <laughs> Why is everybody so mad at Kevin? There's all a pre, the time? there's a prologue we didn't get no, we about no Kevin about being Kevin. a shitbag. Uh, but it's fantastic. Um, highly recommend. And there's a lot of really interesting. And I, I think she's doing it on purpose. The author is a queer woman, and she does a lot of exploration about gender and pronouns in this book. And when someone says they because in this universe two people can inhabit the same body mm-hmm. so you can mean they in a singular plural and plural okay. yeah and it was really interesting and some people are genderless and some people are um you know women who happen to be stuck in a man's body um and still you know expressing who she is as a person sure. and it's like really really fascinating stuff that's happening and Nona's like eight and just wants to walk noodle. <laughs> and I love is it. really bad at lying and would prefer if everyone would stop using bad words all the time because she's a teacher's aide. So she has to be the one in charge and has to tell people to stop cursing all the time. That's very frustrating. It's, oh, that's yes, cute. I like really it. It's really cute. Highly recommend. Um, so that's the third book. The fourth book, I believe, is coming out in the. They said that the um, this is probably going to be the last one. Um, so, and they set up. All of the books end on a cliffhanger. Sorry, heads up. All the books have, end up on a cliffhanger. Um, so this one is uh, setting up the fourth book. And I am so excited for that one to come. I love it. And then you're going to read The Lies of Locke Lamora. I have Sword Heart. Heart is the also, I have. That is me. true. I've loaned you that one. But the other one is a series I've been talking about. For Lies like of Locke three, three years. Yeah. The Gentleman I, Bastard sequence. Mm, 
Yes. Um, that's in my uh, Kindle library. I will mm-hmm. absolutely read it. You have to read the first one to get to the Red Seas Under Red Skies, which is the pirate one. Okay. Which is the lady pirate one. <sighs> so good. Love like, it's It's genuinely – so the books are, are good. Like, uh-huh. I will say that so far, the order of books that I liked the most, it was number two, mm-hmm. number one, number three. Oh, in interesting. Order. I love when that happens. Mm-hmm. Kaylee. Do you have a Kaylee Coda for us for this episode? Don't be a bully, especially to libraries. (laughs) Don't punch down, guys. Like, in general, not complicated. If something isn't available elsewhere, like, don't take it away from poor people. (laughs) Please, stop. Like, think about what you're doing for, like, two seconds. Impulse control. Like, we control, we can't control the world, but you can control your own actions. So just, like, a little impulse control uh, will go a long way to kindness. Just in general. Thanks for listening to the Ink Sync. I have been Annie. I'm Kaylee. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Anchor, Spotify, all the major podcast places and social media places. We have sponsorships available if you want to sponsor us for as low as 99 cents a month. Thanks, Abby. And thanks, Abby. Uh, We will see you next time. You can maybe try to make something out of what word vomit I think just it'll happened. Be okay, we'll wonderful. have like the beautiful piano music over it. Okay, which good. Which we always do. I can read that poem from Tumblr if you want and make you cry again. <laughs> again? No. <laughs> it's noon. I can't cry again. <laughs> I did it last Crying time. Crying hours are over. Crying hours are over. It's not dark yet.